Okay, our first reading tonight is from 1 Chronicles, chapter 29, beginning at verse 10, and that can be found on page 307. So 1 Chronicles 29, 10 to 20. The uh, context of this is that King David has just called on the leaders of the people of Israel to contribute their material wealth and their resources to the building of the temple at Jerusalem. And the leaders have responded by giving freely and wholeheartedly. So this is David's prayer immediately after that. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, O Lord, God of our Father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power, and the glory and the majesty and the splendour. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honour come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people? that we should be able to give as generously as this. Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are aliens and strangers in your sight, as were all our forefathers. Our days on earth are like a shadow, without hope. O Lord our God, as for all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name, it comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things have I given willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. O Lord, God of our fathers Abraham, Isaac and Israel, keep this desire in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. And give my son Solomon the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands, requirements and decrees, and to do everything to build the palatial structure for which I have provided. Then David said to the whole assembly, Praise the Lord your God. So they all praised the Lord, the God of their fathers. They bowed low and fell prostrate before the Lord and the King. Second reading tonight's from Colossians uh, on page 833. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and the love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. 
We pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you might have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. I think I'm on. If you haven't met me before, my name's Dave. I started working a couple of days a week at church here while I'm at Bible college the rest of the time. And it's great to have this opportunity to share to you from God's word. Let's pray to our Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we can be here tonight in Kirribilli and that we can open it up. We ask, Lord, that by your spirit you may teach us that our hearts might be changed that we would fall in love with you and seek to live in complete dependence upon you, for you are good. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Last week we had Let's Talk About Glory. This week, let's talk about prayer. And the aspect of prayer that I want us to think through and think about is not so much what is prayer, but the place that prayer ought have in our Christian lives. And so we primarily will be focusing on those verses that we just read in Colossians chapter 4, but I wanted us to hear a couple of prayers. We had the prayer of David in the Old Testament, we had the prayer of Paul in the New Testament. Prayer was such a central thing, and that is why I was keen for us to think through that tonight. But before we delve straight into the passage, a couple of weeks ago I was having lunch at my parents' place, the family was together, And we were reminiscing a little bit. My nieces and nephews were there. And then a story came up. It relates to when I was in year four. And my mum, my brother and sister and I, we had jumped in the car. We had headed to the beach to go on a holiday. My dad and eldest brother were going to follow later on. And we arrived at the beach in our holiday house. It was great. Everything started off so well. There we were. I was playing with my sister, my brother and I, having fun. We were playing board games, building sandcastles. Everything was wonderful on this holiday. But then things changed. Suddenly, no one wanted to play with me. No one wanted to do the games that I wanted to do. Suddenly, my sister wasn't my best friend anymore. Suddenly, in my little world of self-centeredness, this holiday proved to be less than ideal. And I started being a bit of a hassle, probably less desirable. And then my mum wisely dealt with me. After a few tears, I found myself in the cell of my holiday bedroom, sitting on the edge of the bed. And then in a moment of nine-year-old genius, I had the solution. I knew exactly what was going to fix this situation for me. I thought it through. I thought, I don't need this family. I could do it better by myself. I'm going to run away. So I did. I looked around the room. There was the case we had packed in. When I was that size, it came up to about here, the big red family case. I grabbed all my few belongings. didn't take very long to pack. I exited the room, 
I made my announcement to the family. I went out the front door, I headed down the driveway, and then I stopped. I looked at the road, I looked at the cars whizzing past. Suddenly everything seemed much bigger, I felt much smaller. But the decisive thing was when this wild chicken started advancing towards me. I picked up the case, I, my tail between my legs you could say, I went through the door, sulking, went back to my room. And it is a situation that we laughed back, my nieces and nephews found it quite hilarious. But for them and for us as adults, the funny thing isn't so much the way I behaved, but the thought of going it alone. To be a little kid, walking away from the parents whom he depends upon, was just a nonsense. It's a humorous thing to even consider. Where do my clothes come from? Where does my food come from? Where does my shelter come from? It's, I depend on my parents. The thought of going independent, of not relying upon them, yeah, it makes us laugh. But tragically, that's often the way we relate to God. We seek to live independent of Him. We seek to run away from Him. We seek to live our own lives. And that is most significantly and probably obviously seen in the place prayer has in our life. It's through prayer that we show our dependence upon God that we call out to Him. And when prayer is absent... Are we depending upon our Heavenly Father? When prayer is absent, we can most likely conclude that we're doing it alone, that we're seeking to live independently upon Him. And prayer at its heart is about depending upon our Heavenly Father. Many of us, if you think of praying, think of acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. But even when we do those things, when we come before God in praise and adoration, we're acknowledging that He's the creator of the universe. We worship Him, we praise Him for that. When we come before Him in confession, we acknowledge that we need His mercy and His grace. When we come before Him in thanksgiving, we acknowledge that He's provided all that we have. When we come before Him in supplication or requests, we're acknowledging that we need Him to provide. Prayer is where we show our dependence upon God. It's where it's fundamental to our Christian lives. And so if we live as people who are dependent upon God, we must pray. We must. And that is Paul's concern in this passage. He comes to the end of his letter in Colossians. He's drawing to the final closing greetings. And there he says in chapter 4, verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer. That's a call that he has for the church there in Colossae. It's a call that goes out to the church and it's a call that comes to us here in Kirribilli. Devote yourselves to prayer. And if we think about what it means to be devoted, there are two ways that I think we can look at that. And the first one is, if we're going to be devoted to prayer, it comes from the heart. Things that capture you, things that you're just going to be dedicated to, find the source in your heart. It's something that has been moved in your heart that you're going to commit to. And that is prayer. Prayer ought to be an overflow of the love that we have for our God, our Saviour. A God who loves us so much, who provides for us in every way. When we love our Father in heaven, prayer will be an overflow of that. We will be devoted to prayer because we're devoted to Him. We love Him so much and we know He loves us so much. This little song came to mind. You might have learned it in Sunday school. You might not have, but it goes like this. Wide, wide is the ocean. High as the heavens above. 
deep, deep as the deepest sea is my Savior's love. God's love for you and me is greater than we can ever imagine. And though the song goes on to say, though we're so unworthy to be called to be a child in his care, his word teaches me that his love reaches me, reaches his people everywhere. God loves his people so much. And it's his love for us that drives and motivates our devotion to rely and depend upon him. But also too, if I think about the word devotion, I think action. Devotion isn't something, isn't about being idle. And you might consider marathon runner, Commonwealth Games run at the moment. If a marathon is running passionately, what does it mean for the person to be devoted? He's going to be committed. It's not going to be half-hearted. He's going to persist. He's not going to stop. He's going to persevere even when it gets hard. He's going to be steadfast, not be distracted. That's the language that Paul's using for the commitment that we ought to have to prayer. God is calling us to pray, not just as a mere task, but as a relationship with him, pouring forth from the heart. People are so devoted to so many different things, people to sport. How much more will we be devoted to our Heavenly Father? How much more should our hearts overflow for him? And we see the example. We look at some in the Bible. We see it in the life of Paul. And if you've been flicked through the New Testament, you'd see, challenge the eyes, Paul prays constantly. And one of the things you see, he says, how constantly I pray, how I always thank God. I've not stopped every time, always. That's the language that we hear and encounter when we encounter Paul in prayer. And the Bible calls us to imitate Paul. In 1 Corinthians 4.16, he calls the church, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Paul is committed, devoted to prayer. If we're going to be faithful, we'll follow his example and that's what we read in the prayer at the beginning of Colossians since we heard about you we've not stopped praying for you Paul prays constantly for the church and he's calling the church to constantly pray and Paul as we imitate Paul ultimately we'll be imitating Christ and if Jesus was committed to prayer if Jesus was devoted to prayer how much ought we be devoted to prayer you read through the gospels Jesus prayed constantly. He went to quiet places to pray. He taught about prayer. He taught his disciples how to pray. Prayer was central to what he had to teach his people because in prayer we find and a link to the one upon whom we depend. And he taught of his Father in heaven constantly who provides. And one of the very confronting scenes in the Gospels is where Jesus goes into the temple It's a marketplace and he goes and he clears the floors with anger. And what does he say? You've turned it into marketplace. This is meant to be my father's house of prayer. Prayer is at the heart of our saviour, Jesus Christ. Prayer we see in the example of Paul. And we should see it in our lives too. And that's what Paul, as you read through the Bible, through the New Testament, he writes to the church in Ephesus. Always keep on praying to the church in Philippi. He urges them to pray to the church in Thessalonica. Be faithful in prayer. Pray continuously. It's language that I don't think we often think about or that we're confronted with when we think of the place of prayer in our lives. And that's why I would like us to consider one more example. If you've got your Bibles open, if you look towards the end of chapter 4, look at verse 12. There's someone in their congregation by the name of Epaphras. 
And Paul says this about Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus. He sends his greeting. He's always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. Epaphras is an example of someone who wrestles in prayer. If you look through the New Testament again and see the word that's used there, that's being used here with regards to prayer, it's once again the words of an athlete competing. It's the words of a soldier on the battlefield. It's the words used of an intense struggle. When you went through Timothy recently, it's the call of Paul to Timothy. Fight on. Fight the good fight. That's the language that the Bible gives us with regards to prayer. Often we think of prayer probably as optional practically, with the way we live. Or we have these quaint pictures of prayer. Or we see those nice pictures with hands together. But prayer in the Bible is a commitment and devotion of the heart. It's central. It's not something that we just relegate to, I'll get to it later. No, it's at the core of who we are. It's the way we show that we live in dependence upon our Father in heaven. And when we go through, we'll see that those who belong to the Lord will not be indifferent to prayer. And I do say this, if prayer is absent in your life, yes, some of us struggle with prayer, most of us do. But if prayer is absent and non-existent, be concerned. The spirit that God gives us is the spirit that enables us to cry, Abba, Father. It's the spirit of prayer. Make sure that you're depending upon Christ, upon God for all your salvation. Because those who belong to the Lord... The Spirit will be at work in them to lead them to pray, to teach them to pray. And when we think prayer here, Paul's used this word devotion. But there's two other words that he links in with devotion. Devote yourselves to prayer, he says, being watchful, being thankful. These are two words that will, in one sense, if you want to make sure the dimmer switch doesn't Go in your life of prayer. Keep these words at the forefront. Be watchful, be thankful. They are so important. Now, what does it mean to be watchful? People have all sorts of, well, several ideas. Some people say Paul just wants to make sure that when you or I pray that we concentrate, that we don't let our minds drift, let alone fall asleep. Make sure you're alert when you pray. Some people just... Say it's just don't be slack. Don't be casual when you pray. Some, it's about remembering Jesus is to be watchful, looking for the day that Jesus will return. Some, it's about the false teaching that Paul's writing to them, say, be on your guard against. I don't think Paul necessarily has just one of those things in mind. I think all those things come together in what it is to be watchful, for us to be alert. And a helpful way probably to think about it, what might it look like if we're not watchful? If we're not alert? And at the heart, if you want to sum that all up, if we're not watchful, we'll be shifting away from Jesus. Our focus won't be on Jesus. Something else will capture our eye. We'll compromise our devotion to Him. If we're going to be people who are watchful, that will work itself out as we keep our eyes fixed on our Savior, Jesus Christ. And as you read through the letter, Paul addresses many things. 
that they need to be watching out for, things that could distract them, things that could cause them to veer away. And here are just three, and I think they're three things that we need to make sure. If these three things get a foot in our life, our prayer lives will dwindle. One of them is false teaching in chapter 2. He says, watch out for false teaching. At its heart, false teaching is going to substitute Christ or lessen Christ or take your eyes from Him. Don't forego salvation through faith in Christ alone. Keep your eyes fixed upon Him. Depend upon Him for your salvation. Be discerning. Be alert. All the podcasts that you listen to, the books that you read, be watchful that you have been keeping your eyes focused on Christ. Another one that he addresses in chapter 3 is our sinful nature. He says, be alert to it. Don't indulge the sinful nature. You died to Christ. Put to death the deeds of the flesh of your sinful nature. Don't walk as you used to walk. Do let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Do let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I know from experience, I'm sure you know too, when we indulge in sin, where there's unrepentant sin in our life, it's hard to pray. We need to keep our eyes fixed upon Him. We need to depend upon Him to overcome our sinful nature. And one last one is false hopes. Chapter 1, verse 5, and in chapter 3 as well, he says, Don't be distracted by false hopes. Don't put your hope in perishable things. Set your hearts on things above. Don't set your hearts on things below. What will your house do for you? What will your money do for you? What will your investment property do for you? What will that relationship do for you when the life comes to an end? When you enter into eternity, they are false hopes. But in Christ, we can depend for our future. So let's make sure that if we are being watchful, for all those different things that could come and buffet us in life, the thing that will show that we are being alert to these things and that we are aware is that we keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus. As I said, when sin is in my life, it's hard to pray. And people who drift away from the Lord, it's hard to pray. Prayer dries up. And if you're not watchful, your eyes move from Jesus. You veer off course and if you don't keep your eyes on the road, you expect something to happen. If you don't keep your eyes on Jesus, expect something to happen. Some may abandon Jesus, but they keep uttering prayers. But of what value are those prayers? We've just been through Leviticus. And one of the things we've seen is that Christ is the sacrifice that we read in Hebrews that gives us access to the Father. It's through Jesus that we approach him. You remove Jesus from the equation. If you have Christless prayers, you do not have access to the Father. We must keep our eyes fixed upon him. I call this little thing a tale of two churches. Two churches that I'm familiar with in Sydney and I've had the opportunity of sharing in. Two churches that if you went back a number of years to when they started, there wouldn't have been much difference between them. Two churches that are roughly the same size when they began. Two churches that have somehow chipped away over the years, but if you visit those churches, they are vastly different. One of the churches is alive. 
you just see the love for Jesus. The other church, you would wonder if it is alive. It seems to be more on life support where it's at. You go through those churches. The one church you go, the leaders make sure that prayer is at the heart of what happens. You go there to share and they'll gather you and they'll pray with you. They have prayer days and prayer nights. Prayer permeates what they do. The other church, visit that church, met with the people leading the church. We met before the service. Nothing much was happening. I said, let's pray. We're in a room, number of us sitting, nothing happened. Then you have that awkward silence. These are the leaders of the church. So finally, I prayed and we closed up the time. Then in the service, I prayed the congregational time of prayer, only to be addressed afterwards for using wrong terminology when I was praying. One church, you just has their eyes fixed upon Jesus. And you see it in the way that they pray. The other church, their eyes have drifted from Jesus. And prayer is absent. Sadly, both those churches encountered, I want to say, false teaching. Liberal teaching that even questioned whether Christ was risen from the dead. One church was watchful and made sure they kept their eyes on Jesus. The other church was led astray and took their eyes off him. Keep our eyes on Jesus. We've got to be watchful and we'll be prayerful. Which church will we be? Those churches, it didn't take a day, it didn't take a week, it didn't take a year, it didn't take a decade, it took longer. Talking 30, 40, maybe 50 years. God has blessed us abundantly where we are now. If our eyes drift from Christ, we could end up just the same as that prayerless Christless, dead church. Let's be alert. Let's make sure we're focused upon Christ. Let's keep watchful. And then we'll be prayerful. The second thing that Paul addresses is thankfulness. If we're going to be devoted to prayer, we need to be thankful. We can quickly use the word thanks and we very thankful for things but if we're really thankful we acknowledge the person for what they've done for the gracious thing that they've done that we're undeserving of what they've done thankfulness we acknowledge the person who's been so kind in their giving and who is the most gracious the kindness giver of all is it not God our father in heaven he provides us with everything we need. He's the giver of life. He's the one who's given his son that we might be saved. Thankfulness is so important. If we are thankful, that will fill up in our hearts and that will overflow in prayer. Thankfulness is one of the things that is so central to what it is to be a Christian. In Romans 1, I'm sure many of us are familiar with that second half of Romans 1 where it talks about the way of the wicked, the people who have turned against God. And one of the marks, the beginnings, say neither glorified God nor gave thanks to Him. And in not giving thanks to God, they moved away from depending upon God. Those who are thankful acknowledge that we are dependent upon God for everything. Thankless people don't pray. They're not motivated to. 
Some people are thankless who look at life and think life is good. You don't have to be just down and sour to be thankless. There are those who look at life and they think life's good. They look at what they've done. They look at their achievements. I've considered, what, look how clever I am. Look at my wealth. Look at all I've attained. Look at this comfortable house that I'm in. They look at what they've done or they look at what others have done for them. And their thanks pours out to those places. There's no need for God. There's no recognition that God is the source of all good things. If all those other idols fill their life, of course they're not going to pray to their father. Thankless people too can be those who look at life and think everything's bad the other way. We just look at the example of Israel in the wilderness. God's just done this amazing redemption, this amazing deliverance. They start to grumble. Things aren't as they would like them to be. And aren't we susceptible to that as well? How quickly we can start to grumble. I'm not happy with my circumstances. I wish I had a different job. I wish I looked different. I wish I had a particular relationship. On it goes. We grumble. When we grumble, God's not at the center. We've shifted him out of the center. We're in there. My world, this is not the way I want it to be. If we're grumblers, we won't overflow with thankfulness. We won't pray. Because in our hearts and our actions and the way we think, we're saying God is not good. God is not loving. So what are we going to be thankful for? But Christians, those who look to the Lord, will be people who are thankful. And if you've got that prayer of David that we read through, that David read to us, it's such a wonderful example of David overflowing in prayer to God. We read, he acknowledges that God's from everlasting to everlasting. He is the one with all greatness and power. He is all glorious. Everything in heaven and on earth belongs to him. He is the head and ruler of everything. All wealth or honor, everything comes from him. He's to be praised. All that these people have brought to build the temple, all their wealth, all that they've accumulated, David makes very clear that everything that's been given has come from the giver. When we have our tithes or offering later in the service, all that you give, don't give yourself praise for that. Thank God for being able to give. Everything comes from Him. David recognized that. David was so thankful for that and it overflowed in prayer. And how much more ought we be overflowing with thankfulness? David saw but a shadow of what you and I see as a reality in Christ. We can look to the cross and see that Christ has been risen from the dead. We know that as we look to Christ, we are truly saved. Think about it. Press it in your head that if you have put your faith in Christ, you are going to heaven. You are truly saved. Jesus will lose none that the Father has given to him. Let the reality of that weigh upon you. Be so thankful for it that your eternity is secure that God has in store for you an inheritance that will never perish, fail, or spoil. When the reality of that fills us, how much we will delight in our Father in heaven, how much we'll acknowledging that we are dependent upon Him for everything, how we will pray. We will follow the example of David. And Paul does it as well. In each of those prayers that we looked at before, every one of them, he has the word thanks. And in all the other prayers as you look through, you'll constantly find Paul is so thankful 
He sees it everywhere. He's writing this letter in prison, but he still overflows with thankfulness. He knows God is good, and it overflows from his heart. Watchfulness and thankfulness go together. All three of those things actually go together. But in watchfulness and thankfulness, they're two things that will make sure that your prayer life and my prayer life doesn't turn into drudgery, into religious legalism. If you're not watching Christ, if your eyes are not focused on Christ, you'll have Christless prayer. What reason do you have to pray? What motive do you have to pray? If you're not thankful, your heart will be cold to God. And when you're called to pray, it's going to be drudgery. It's going to be obligation. But if our eyes are focused on Christ our Savior, the one seated at the right hand in the heavenly realms who has saved you and me, if we are so thankful and recognize all of God's goodness, our hearts will well up in prayer and praise to our Father in heaven. We must be watchful. We must be thankful. If you want to think and you've ever seen those big furnaces or those big billows that blow and fan the fire, if you've seen the, the movies where you see the blacksmith working away and fans the fire, watchfulness and prayer, thankfulness and prayer, watchfulness, thankfulness are things that fan their hearts. It sets our hearts on fire. It fans the flames and we overflow in prayer. Remove watchfulness and thankfulness. And our hearts will grow cold. The fire will go out. Let's keep being watchful. Let's keep being thankful. As a church here, we, can, we have been so blessed by God over the past five or six years. There's some people here who are from the original group that came. The people that used to be in this service at its original time who are now across five services now. God has blessed us so abundantly. If we have, as God's word has been preached, as we have kept our eyes upon him, God has blessed us. But let's never start presuming. Let's never start thinking how talented we are. Look at all the resources we have. With all the electronics, all the music, all the multimedia, all the things, all the promotions, how clever we are. Let's never take our eyes and recognize that everything that we have has come from God. Everything that has taken place has been a blessing from God. Otherwise, we'll become like that other church that I shared before. Let's remember. Let's be thankful. Let's be unceasing. Let's be devoted to recognizing what Christ has done for us, who we are in Christ. Let's be unceasing in recognizing all that God has done for us. And that will overflow in prayer. It will be evidenced in prayer. There's one thing to pray about. I encourage you to look through the Bible. There's lots of prayers. But one thing that we're encouraged to pray about here that's on Paul's heart, that the Spirit's put upon his heart as he draws to the end of the letter, it's the advancement of the gospel. If you had one more prayer, you're on your deathbed or you just knew this was the last prayer that you're going to have, what would you pray? I would ask that if you, I would pray that if you don't know the Lord, that you would cry out to Him. 
in dependence upon Jesus that you would be saved. That you would be spared the wrath to come and you would be secure with Christ in heaven. But if you do know Christ, may we be like Paul and pray that others too might be saved. That others too might come to know him. What does Paul pray? He says, when you get to verse Verse 3 says, Pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly. The focus of Paul's prayer is on the advancement of the gospel. That is something that just burdens his heart. Here he's in prison. He's not sulking. He's delighting that God is still using him. He's praying that even in this apparently hopeless situation that God who is all-powerful, all-sovereign, more than capable, will create opportunities. He's asking for the church to pray with him, to pray that the gospel would go forward. He knows that God has made things in such a way that as the church prays, the gospel goes forward. God is sovereign, but in the mystery and his wisdom, it involves the church in prayer. And so Paul here calls upon the church in Colossae to pray that he would open the door. Unless God opens the door, unless God's going before the gospel, everything that we do in the gospel, but by the grace of God, will be in vain. And is that, or ought that not be, the prayer that we have here in Kirribilli? Is it our prayer that the gospel would go forth in Kirribilli? Is it our prayer that God would open the doors in Kirribilli? that others might hear and be saved. Paul, the Apostle Paul, Paul who wrote this part of the Bible through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is saying, I need your prayers if I'm going to do this. I encourage us all to be in prayer for Paul and for Mark as they lead the way in proclaiming the gospel. They need God to be at work in them if they're going to pr- pray, sorry, preach and proclaim it clearly. If they're going to be effective, they need the church to pray. Some of you might know a man called Charles Haddon Spurgeon. God used him amazingly. He was a mighty preacher that God blessed and saved many people through. But someone once asked him and said, How is it, Mr. Spurgeon, that you're so influential? How is it that you're being used in this way? And his response is, My people pray for me. My people pray. We depend upon God. My people call upon God to help me in what I'm being called to do. And some of the most solemn warnings he ever gave his church were the dangers of ceasing to depend upon God in prayer. May God help me, he says, if you cease to pray for me, let me know the day I'll cease to preach. Let me know when you intend to stop praying and I'll cry out, O God, give me this day my tomb, let me slumber in the dust. The gospel goes forth through the prayer of the saints, through the power of God. We must pray. So if there's one topic of prayer that I encourage us to take away tonight as we seek to be devoted in prayer, is the advancement of the gospel. That people might know the hope that you and I share. Do we, are we devoted to prayer? Do we persevere in prayer? That's something we need to ask ourselves. Not occasionally. Yes, some of us will have spiritually high days and we'll have spiritually low days. But if we look to David, if we look to Paul, if we look to the Bible, we're never to have prayerless days. 
From the depths, David prays. From the heights, David prays. We need to persist in prayer. And as we do, we're not called to... As we read in the Bible, we see people praying alone and we see people praying together. Jesus in the Gospel says, go into your closet and you'll pray privately. As we read through the Bible, we see God calling the church to pray, as Paul does here in Colossians. Pray. It's not, I'm going to do that one and not worry about that or that. No, we've got to do both. We're called to pray. One of the ways we express unity together is as we pray. So let's make sure that we're calling upon God. If you're someone who doesn't know how to pray, I encourage you, speak to someone. Have a look through the Bible. I've left one of some of these just on the table down the back. All it is is prayers through the Bible. Pick one of those up. Read the prayers, the example of those who have gone before us, and they will give us food. They will give us the example of how to pray. Turn to the Gospels. See the Lord's Prayer. Chip away at that. If you think I'm hopeless, prayer. If you think, oh, my words just don't come out, God's not worried. God's heart burns and yearns for his people to pray. Father just delights to hear his children call to him. If you fumble away at a prayer in your own quiet room at night as you lie in bed, open your Bible, you look at one of the prayers and you say, okay, I'm going to try and pray that. All comes out wrong, it seems. It all feels different. God's going to delight in that prayer. God's going to love that child more than some well Bible college person who knows all the Bible that can put all the words together but has no heart. God looks to the heart. Don't let anything stop you praying. And ask God to teach you to pray. The disciples ask ask Jesus to teach them. God gives us the Spirit. The Spirit will teach us. Don't feel you've got to rush off and buy a book. Look to God's Word. Look to one another. And if you want prayer for something, put it on the response slip. Ask people to pray. And as a church, I put this together too. If you want to be involved in prayer, I better get this right. In our church services, we pray because we depend upon God. Prayer is central. In your connect groups, pray. Come together. Don't just have one person pray. Pray with one another. Before the services, we meet in the hub and we commit this time to God because we depend upon Him. Imagine coming to a service where there's been no prayer, where no prayer takes place. The very nature of things tells you something's wrong. We depend upon God in prayer. After the service, come down the front if you'd like to pray with someone. Even if you don't have things you want prayer for, if you just feel like praying, come down and pray with a brother or a sister. We have our prayer nights. And I encourage you, don't take the week connect groups of off for the prayer night. Don't see it just as a week off. See it as a time where we come in thankfulness and delight for our Savior and dependence upon God. There's a prayer email that goes around. If you'd like to be on that, to receive things to pray for, come and see me or email Robin in the office. Start a prayer group. Do something radical. Meet with someone. Say, let's meet together and pray. When you meet with someone, if you have lunch with someone, when you meet them during work, say, let's pray before we leave. Permeate your life with prayer. May I permeate my life with prayer. We're called to be devoted to prayer. Prayer is something we wrestle at, we persevere at. 
And we do so because we just love our Father so much. We know what Christ has done for us. And we realize and recognize all that he's done for us. Yesterday morning I was walking behind where I'm living in North Ryde at the moment. And there's this big sort of wetland area. And there's a lot of little families of ducks at the moment. And there was a group of ducks, mum, dad and 12 little ducklings. And as you get out the water, it's a bit of a struggle because the water doesn't just come flat into land. There's water and then there's a bit of a, bit of a bump. So mum and dad pop out all right. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. All ten, then eleven little ducklings are out. But there's still this little one that sort of can't get out. But it knows it has to. It's got to get back to where it's safe, to where it depends. Finally, this little duckling makes it and you've never seen its little legs run so fast as it took off to get to where it needed to be. Let's make sure the wisdom of that little duck doesn't outdo our wisdom. Don't run away from God, run to Him. We need to be with our Father. We depend upon Him. We look to Him for everything, not just individually, but as a church. And so I would say that's Paul's plea, that's Paul's cry, is that for us here in Kirribilli that we don't cease praying, but that we are devoted to prayer. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, forgive us if we have not been men and women of prayer. Forgive us, Lord, if we have not rushed to you or raced to you, to our Father upon whom we depend for everything. Lord, teach us to pray. Burden our hearts, Lord, that we would be men and women, that we would be a church of prayer, that we would depend upon you for everything. And we just thank you, Lord, for the way that you watch over us, for the way that you provide for us, for every way that you bless us. And we most wonderfully give thanks to you for what you have done for us in your Son, Jesus Christ, that through him our sins are forgiven. And in thankfulness for that, Lord, may our hearts whelm up and overflow with prayers of thanks and thanksgiving and praise and adoration. Lord, may we be a church that prays. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.